We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Are you looking forward to that day when you will see Him face to face? Hopefully, if you had the privilege to be here with us last week and this week, you can see that there is a theme over the past couple of Sundays, and that is looking forward to that day when we will see him face to face. We sang this morning, soon and very soon we'll be going to see the king. We sang this morning about the days of Elijah and that year of Jubilee where we look forward to the coming of the Lord, that moment where in that very second we will begin an eternity of endless praise. And so we are so thankful over the last few weeks and the coming weeks to be talking about the end times. It is not something that the church should shy away from, but something that we should embrace and something that we should understand. And so we continue this morning as we are talking about our great and glorious hope and specifically this morning about preparing for the day of the Lord. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 to 3, said that Satan was trying to devise his strategy to ruin the souls of men. And so he called together all the emissaries of hell and wanted to have a meeting. And he told them to bring their best ideas to the table for how men's souls might be ruined. And so they gathered in this hellish room and Satan began to take suggestions from the demon hordes, and one of them raised his hand, and he said, I know what we'll do. We'll tell them that there's no heaven. And Satan looked at them and said, it'll never work. Men understand inside their hearts that they were built for something more, that there is more. There's eternity that God has set inside of them. Um, you may convince a few people of that, but you'll never convince all of humanity that there is no heaven. He said, don't we have any other ideas than that? And another demon raised his hand. He said, yes. And he said, uh, I, I think that what we need to do is to tell them that there is no hell. We should tell them that there is no hell. And Satan said, there will be many who absolutely follow that scheme. But I've got to tell you, that can't be our biggest strategy because inside their hearts, people not only desire justice, but know deep inside that justice is coming, that punishment and retribution is coming. They understand that. And so on the whole, we've got to have a better strategy than that. Isn't there someone in here who's got a better strategy than telling mankind that there's no heaven and telling mankind that there's no hell? And finally, a third demon raised his hand and he said, yes, what's your idea? He said, I say we tell them that there's both, but we tell them that there's no hurry that there is no hurry for them to decide, that there is no hurry for them to make any decisions, that there's no hurry for them to run headlong into thinking about those things. And the whole room went quiet. Satan looked at the demons and he said, we have found our strategy. Friends, one of the reasons that we talk about the day of the Lord is because we have far too many people that believe that even though there is a heaven and even though there may be a hell, they don't need to deal with it. But I'm telling you today that by the power of the authority of God's word, we must prepare for the day of the Lord. Paul is writing to this Thessalonian church, and you'll remember last week, we spent all of last week talking about the rapture. And so 
Paul switches gears now. You're going to see that as we stand and read in just a moment because the very first two words he said is now, brothers. And he changes subjects from talking about the rapture to talking about the judgment that is going to come during the tribulation. And so we continue our study together as specifically we talk about today the day of the Lord. Let's stand together as we read God's word to understand this better. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Lord, we know that following the rapture, that the day of the Lord will come. May we prepare and live our lives accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated this morning? This phrase, day of the Lord, you may want to take a note of that phrase or highlight that phrase in your Bible. That is a phrase that comes up over and over and over again. And I don't want you to confuse this term. There are other terms in the Bible where it may talk about the day of Christ or the day of God. But specifically in the Bible, when you see the phrase, the day of the Lord, it's talking about God's judgment that is coming. What, what Paul is writing about to this church in Thessalonica is a marking of the end of man's days when God will act in judgment to take back control of the earth and a time of judgment on unrepentant sinners. If there is a more unpopular message that I could preach this morning than the one you're about to hear, I don't know it. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I don't know that there is a more unpopular message than the one that you're about to hear. In fact, if you were to fill out a customer survey of people and ask them what they would like to hear when they went to church, a message on the day of the Lord and the wrath of God would not make the top 10. In fact, it wouldn't make the top 100. And I would tell you that unfortunately, one of the problems we are now facing is because people have never heard about the wrath of God. They've never heard about the reality of hell. They've never heard about the day of the Lord. They've never heard about the coming tribulation. They've never heard about the weeping and the gnashing of its teeth. They've never heard about anything other than the satisfaction and joy that you can have in Jesus. Never hearing the alternative, we have a group of people who are not only going to die and go to hell, but we have a group of believers who are not living intentionally with the realization that there is real cost involved. And so talking about the wrath of God, if you are a believer, this shouldn't be something you shy away from. Talking about the day of the Lord, even talking about the reality of hell, punishment, the abyss, all of the things that are talked about when it comes to the end times, none of those things as believers should be items that scare us, but they should be items that motivate us. They ought to motivate us to grateful praise. They ought to motivate us to worship. They ought to motivate us to evangelism. And so when Paul is writing about this seven-year tribulation that is coming or the day of the Lord, you know that he's transitioned. I mentioned those first two words, now, brothers. We've talked about the rapture when those who are dead will rise and go to meet Christ in the air, and then those of us who are still living are going to be with them. And Paul says, then after that, there is going to come a period of seven-year tribulation, distinctly different from the rapture. But he says, we don't need to write to you about dates, 
For you know very well that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's what Jesus said. We, we don't need to write to you about dates. One of the reasons we don't need to write, write about dates is we don't know dates. But have you ever wondered why God wouldn't give a date? I mean, why not? Why not tell us that it's going to be in the year 2100 or that it's going to be 10 minutes from now? Why not? Can you imagine what the last 2,000 years would have looked like if God had elected to tell us when we were going to die, when the day of the Lord was going to come, I would tell you that one of the reasons or the, the two biggest reasons I believe that the Lord elected not to tell us that is because it would be indifference if we knew it was a long way off. If said, oh, that's not happening for another 3,000 years. I, I don't really need to even spend any time thinking about that. And that's not how he wants the church to live. But if you knew it was in five years, it would change everything. And instead of living in a way that was productive and healthy, you may be living your lives in panic. And so Paul says, we don't even need to talk about that because we don't know the answer. And the reason we don't know an answer is we need to treat it like we understand what Jesus said, that he is going to return to the earth following the tribulation. He is going to come like a thief to end the battle of Armageddon and to end life on earth as it has been going for over 6,000 years and to bring about the millennial reign of Christ described in Revelation 19. So I just want to make sure that this isn't about you memorizing a chart, but I do think it's important that we understand what's being talked about here, that we live in what is called now the church age. We have been living in the church age since Jesus rose from the grave. When people say we are in the end times, we are in the end times because this is the last age or this is the last epoch that is going to exist before the rapture and the tribulation. So these are the end times. And so when we think about end times prophecies, some people get very, very nervous because they think, oh, well, that's somebody talking about that it's this afternoon or next week. I have no idea if it's this afternoon or next week, but I know that we are living in the end times. And so while we are waiting, what we are waiting for as believers is the rapture. We talked about the rapture last week when those of us who are still living will be caught up in the air, the dead and rise to meet Christ. After that happens, the Bible says there's going to be a literal seven-year tribulation of hell on earth. The first three and a half years are going to be bad. The last three and a half years are going to be unthinkable and unimaginable in their horror and in their terror. At the end of that three and a half years, Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth. When he comes back to earth, there is going to be a battle that is assembled in, <clears throat> in the valley Megiddo or Armageddon is going to take place. And Jesus, when he comes back, is going to extinguish all evil off the earth. He is going to, at that point, he is going to bound and gag Satan and going to place him away for a millennium. A millennium is a thousand years. I believe when the Bible says a thousand years, it means a thousand years. And there will be a literal millennium or millennial reign of Christ that takes place. After that millennial reign of Christ takes place, Satan is going to be loosed and there's going to be one last deception that takes place on the world stage. And following that, what we then know is that Jesus is going to destroy Satan forevermore and throw him into the pit of hell to suffer the wrath that he and every one of the demonic horde and everyone else who is 
has not confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and trusted him for their salvation, the decision will be made for eternity upon eternity. And it's at that point that Jesus will destroy everything that we currently see. And he will remake a new heaven and a new earth that will exist forever and ever and ever. And if you are a believer, then you look forward to reigning with him. If you are not a believer, then know today that you will spend eternity in hell. Understand that end times events are given to us, not so we could be speculative, not so we could have just an organizational chart in our mind, but so that they would motivate us in the way that we live right now. So if the day of the Lord describes when God pours out his fury on the wicked, then during the tribulation, what we know is that the Bible tells us tons of signs that are going to point to his coming. Now, some people struggle with end times events. How do we understand this? How, how, how do we make sense of it? There are some things that I struggle to understand, but it's not what the Bible says it's going to happen. It's how people in the midst of what is happening could be so hard-hearted. But I look at the day in which we live today and you could ask the same thing. How is it that some people listening right now could have experienced what God's already done in your life? He could have opened up your eyes. He could have placed the gospel in front of you. He could have let you experience joy and tragedy. He could have done everything he could to knock on the door of your heart. And there are people right now that have ignored the gospel and continue to ignore the gospel. In an incredible way in the tribulation, we are going to see that and it's going to be exaggerated even more then than it is now because these signs will be pointing we are told that there is an Elijah-like forerunner who is going to come during this time. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 tells us that. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 says that there's going to be a worldwide rebellion and the proliferation of false religion. The Antichrist is going to rise. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. Nations are going to assemble for the battle of Armageddon, Joel chapter 3. There's going to be signs in the heavens, we're told in Joel, Isaiah, Matthew, Luke, and Revelation. Revelation 6 tells us that there will be wars. We're told in Matthew 24 that there will be natural disasters, famines, and earthquakes. In Revelation 6, we're told there will be unprecedented death. We're told that the martyrdom of tribulation believers is going to take place in Revelation chapter 7. Yet many will be redeemed by the preaching of two witnesses, Revelation chapter 11. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists that we read about in Revelation 7 are going to go forth. And the preaching of the angel, Revelation 14. All of those things are going to happen during the tribulation. If I had time, I'd run through them again. But I had a good question this week. And sometimes questions after I've preached, I realize, well, maybe I, didn't, maybe I wasn't clear enough on that. So I want to answer something for you. When the rapture takes place during this seven years of tribulation, people, I was asked this week, can someone get saved during the tribulation? Absolutely. There is going to be a tremendous revival during the tribulation. That's what the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 are going to be. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists, don't let that confuse you. Sometimes you'll have people that will knock at the door and want you to know if you're one of the 144,000, you tell them no and neither are you. 
And here's how I know that, because I'm not ethnically Jewish, and the 144,000 are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. That equals 144,000. It's 144,000 that take place by a Jewish revival when they become Messianic Jews during the tribulation and give their life to Christ and begin to witness for him. Because they are saved, not only are they saved, but they're gonna bring people to the Lord Christ. When people start shooting up out of the ground and people start lifting to the air, other people are gonna look up and they're gonna say, something's not right because I'm still here. And they're going to seek the Lord and they're going to get saved. But what's amazing is, is that even though all of this is going to go on, there's still going to be people who live through the tribulation and choose not to trust Jesus. It says that destruction will come, that they will be cast into hell, and they will not escape. How can that happen? We just read Verse three, people are going to be saying, peace and safety, peace and safety, and destruction is going to come on them. Now tell me something. How can an Elijah-like forerunner have come? Worldwide rebellion, the proliferation of false religion, the Antichrist, nations assembling for the battle of Armageddon, signs in the heavens, natural disasters, famines, earthquakes, death, martyrdom. How can all of that happen and somebody still be crying, Peace and safety, peace and safety. I don't think any of you in here should have any problem believing that would happen. Because I would ask you this. For the last 2,000 years, what more would God have had to do to beg people to come unto himself? I beg you, Paul wrote, I beg you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. And yet when the tribulation comes, when people have hardened their heart, there will be people because of this proliferation of false prophets. They've been deceived and they're gonna think things are just going on as normal, just like people did before the flood. When Noah began to preach that judgment was coming upon the earth, they were real shocked when it started raining. There are going to be people in this day who are going to be incredibly shocked when the heavens open and the end of the tribulation, they look up and they see what's about to take place. It will be so sudden on unbelievers that they will have failed to heed the many precursors they should have warned them. Like the pains of a pregnant woman is what Paul writes that, that warn that a child is on the way. This is not real complicated. If you're pregnant, you probably know you're pregnant. Now I know there's that show pregnant and didn't know it. That's weird. I've never met anybody that was pregnant and didn't know it. Most people when they're pregnant, they know. And when it's time for labor, you really know, right? First amen some of you have ever given me, all right? <laughs> you know. And the reason for that is because it's a warning sign. You can sit there if you want to and say, no, I don't think I'm going to have a baby. Why would you not think that? You're pregnant. You've been pregnant. It's time for you to have a baby. Now you're having contractions and you're having pains. It's the body's way of saying, not only are you about to have a baby, you're about to have a baby right now. 
And there will be people that even when they're experiencing these labor pains that are going on all around, they'll say, I'm not going to worry about that. I don't think anything's actually about to happen. And we've got to be sure that we understand as we're reading this, what's going to take place in that moment. We talk about the blessing of God, heaven, grace, love, mercy, and those are things we need to major on. We need to preach them over and over and over again. But friends, we also need to be very clear that we serve a righteous God, that we serve a pure God, that we serve a just God, and because of that, God deals out his wrath and vengeance. And because people did not obey his command to believe, because people will not call upon the name of the Lord to be saved from their sin, they will be destroyed. And when the Bible says destroyed, make no mistake about it, it's not talking about annihilation. It's not ceasing to exist. Do you know that you don't know anybody that's going to cease to exist? Look around. We stand among immortals. Did you know that? You're immortal. You're immortal. You're immortal and you're immortal and every one of you are immortal. You're immortal up there in the balcony. You're immortal. Now when we use that word, sometimes we start thinking about Greek mythology or, or we find that to be a strange word. Your soul is never going to die. You are either going to spend, you are either immortally going to be in heaven or you are immortally going to be in hell. And so when this moment comes, when the clouds open and Jesus returns, what we know is it is at that point, it will be too late. If you are not raptured before the tribulation, it will be too late for you to escape the tribulation. If you do not get saved during the tribulation, then at the moment that the heavens open and Christ descends, it will be too late forever and ever and ever. And what we know is that when the clouds open and Jesus returns, and I try to be careful because I think sometimes one of the reasons we get confused is when we're singing about end times events or thinking about them or reading about them, really, when we talk about the return of Jesus, it's what we're talking about right here in these verses. When Jesus touches down on the earth, the rapture of the church and the return of Christ are actually two separate events. Sometimes when we're thinking about it as believers, we are thinking about the rapture as we should because we're looking forward to that day when we'll go to meet Jesus in the air. But that when he returns to earth, it's the moment that Paul is writing about here in these three verses. And as we read these three verses, what we know, because the Bible tells us, is that with Jesus will be a heavenly force from the church age. What that means is there is a group that is coming with him from the 2,000 years or however long it is that the Lord tarries. There will be a heavenly force from the church age. We're told that in Revelation chapter 19. We're told in Jude 14 and 15 that the Old Testament saints are coming with him. We're told in Revelation chapter 7 that the martyrs from the tribulation are coming with him. What does that mean? 
What is a martyr from the tribulation? That is someone who got saved during the seven years and then after having gotten saved during the seven years is killed for their faith during the tribulation. We're told that that group is going to come with him. We are told in Matthew 25 that the holy angels are going to come with Jesus. Make no mistake about it. No one's going to wonder whether or not Jesus is returning. And the Bible says his just judgment will be swift and it will be accurate. And that in those moments, he will crush all rebellion. It's interesting when we talk about the battle of Armageddon, when we talk about what's going to take place at the end times, so many people, I think, have such a false view of what the battle is going to look like. If you read Revelation, it's almost as though some people think that it's going to be this knockdown drag out. That all of the forces that I just named are going to assemble and that they are going to fight to the death tooth and nail. Listen to me. Jesus isn't going to lose one troop. He's not going to lose one soldier out of the angelic army. He's not going to lose one, he's not going to lose one tribulation believer. He's not going to lose one from the church age. He's not going to lose one Old Testament saint. The whole army that comes with him, all of them survive. And what does that mean? That it is total devastation and it happens immediately. People aren't going to be sitting and watching wondering, ooh, I wonder if Satan's going to pull it out. He'll be annihilated. It'll be gone. And as soon as the clouds open up and the captain of the salvation enters, it was never going to be a fair fight. No matter how many he assembled in the valley, Satan had no shot. And the reason that he fights so hard now is that he knows he has no shot. He's not omniscient like the Lord God, but he knows his destruction is coming. And friends, one of the reasons that we read and study the end times is to give us confidence now. You say, well, that, that doesn't really matter. What is that going to matter to me on a given Thursday? It matters absolutely on a Thursday. And here's why. If the Lord tarries, I don't want to serve a God who can't defeat Satan. I don't want to serve a God who can't destroy him immediately. I don't want to destroy a God who doesn't have the power to bind and gag him. I don't want to serve a God who can't annihilate him. But if I have to wonder in my daily life whether or not I can stand strong, I absolutely can because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Who is in me? The same one that when the clouds open and he comes through with the white horse, it is the same Jesus victorious over the grave that cast him out of heaven in the first place. Isaiah chapter 14, that same Jesus is going to grab him by the throat and destroy him forever. If that God is that powerful and he's my savior, then on Thursday, do you think I need to be stressed out about whether my God can handle it? It makes a difference. It makes an enormous difference in the way that we live our life. Oh, but friends, he came at first as meek and lowly. They didn't have a crib for him. They had to put him in a food trough for animals. When he came the first time, they had to place him on a donkey. But at his second appearing, the Bible says that he is going to come on a great white horse, that he is going to destroy and renew the world that he's going to feed and to judge Satan and his demons and the Antichrist, that he is going to destroy the unregenerate and establish his kingdom for all who belong to him.
I want to read to you this morning a passage that I think is so important. In fact, I think it's one that you should reflect on very often in your Christian walk. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, and he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of of lords soon and very soon I'm going to see the king hallelujah hallelujah I'm going to see the king so it may be today that if you've, as you've listened to this you may be tempted to think brother Larry I'm a believer like I, I've trusted Christ I believe that Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life of perfection I believe that he was the God-man that was crucified on Calvary. I believe that he was taken and placed in a tomb, that he rose again on Easter Sunday morning. I've asked him to forgive my sin. I've trusted him with my life, and I've asked him to be my Lord. Brother Larry, I'm a believer. So does any of this have anything else to do with me? Why do I need to understand these things? Why do I need to study these things? Because you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. I looked up this week and found out that there are almost 4 million Americans who would classify themselves as preppers. Now, some people take this to an extreme. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they've got water filtration systems and food that's supposed to last 30 years. They've got ammunition caches. They've got seed that's in sealed things in case they have to plant gardens for decades and decades to come. I mean, there are people who have built bunkers. There are pe- I mean, it is, it, there are even shows that are dedicated to this. It, it's, it's, it's wild. It is wild. And if you do that, that's great. That's fantastic. Prep all you want. But let me tell you the definition of a fool biblically. You buy 1,000 MREs, 10,000 rounds of ammunition. You build a bunker. You dig a well. You get a water filtration system on your home. You do all of those things and live your life unredeemed. You are prepping for the wrong thing. You need to prep for heaven. And if you have, you say, well, I've done that. Then you need to be living like the events we've talked about today, that these are a reality. These are going to happen. So that should affect two main things. And it affects a lot, but, but I don't have time to talk about all of them. But I need to talk about two. Number one, I just want to shoot you straight this morning. If you're a believer and you believe this about the end times, how dare, how dare we not be more serious about our worship? 
we ought to be, we ought to praise God. Thankful. You know how glad I am that I'm going to be raptured? You know how glad I am that soon and very soon I'm going to see the king? Do you know how glad I am that when the days of Elijah come, do you know that I'm so thankful that I have a glorious day that's waiting on me? Do you know how much I thank God for each of you that I know your testimony is that you're a believer, is that I will know you and love you for all eternity? Do you know how glad that makes me? And so I wonder sometimes if we really believe that, how it is that we aren't hitting our knees in prayer, that we aren't raising our arms in grateful praise and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for such a great salvation. Right? But number two, if you really believe this, why don't we tell somebody? It ought to affect our evangelism. It ought to affect our witness. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So I want to ask you what I think is one of the best questions that's ever been asked. I think it might be the best question, maybe the second best question that was asked in all of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 asks this question. How will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Can I tell you the answer? You won't. You won't. Jesus offers you the narrow way. He says that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and no one gets to the Father but by him. You've got to come through Jesus. If you're not prepared for those moments and you're not prepared for that day, and then the Bible says that today can be the day of your salvation. How are you going to escape if you ignore such a great salvation? And if you are saved, are you glad? Are you thankful? Do you praise God? Are you looking forward to that day when soon and very soon you're going to go and see the king? I want you to sing in just a moment. It's one of my favorite hymns of all time. Some people call it one day. Sometimes it's called glorious day. But I want you to think about that glorious day that is coming. And I want you to think about whether or not you know that you are going to be the one that is raptured and saved on that glorious day. If not, I would run, not walk to one of our ministers who is standing down front. I would run, not walk out of the back because we have ministers that are out here. We are a church that understands that we want to live in the moment, but part of living in the moment is preparing for that moment. So if you want to be a part of a church like that, we invite you to come. If you want to come and simply pray at the altar and thank Jesus for his provision, or right where you are. But I want us to be a church that right now, right here, praises God for what only he can do. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.